now I want to talk to you about the Jesus lens. How do we look at scripture? And the, the little scripture we have in the circle is really key. The word made flesh, we beheld his glory. That's the one we're pulling out of John chapter 1 that I think becomes foundational to how it is that we begin to understand not only the Old Testament, but also begin to understand the new. That the, that the life of Jesus, he is the fulfillment of everything that scripture is. He was the word made flesh, which we'll talk about in a moment. To help us illustrate that, I want to take you back to right after the resurrection, Luke chapter 24. There's two guys who were in Jerusalem, saw him die, woke up that morning, heard rumors of a resurrection, but then went back to Emmaus anyway, because they had to get back home. One of those may have been Luke, some people posit. One of them's Cleopas, but they're going back to Emmaus. And suddenly the stranger joins them on the road and he's asking about the heaviness of their heart. And it's Jesus. It's the resurrected Jesus. And for whatever reason, they don't recognize him. Whether God just divinely kept them from doing it, whatever. But he said the language here is incredible. He says, uh, are you so foolish and slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken? Did not the Christ have to suffer these things to enter his glory? Same thing that Peter's saying. Nobody got the sufferings and the glory. And that's why they were disillusioned. The, the Redeemer came, but they killed him. And, you know, we got lost. And Jesus is saying, did you miss what the prophets said? That had to happen. And then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Now, if there's one sermon of Jesus I hoped would have been recorded that I wish he would have done in a studio like this and videotaped it, it's that one. If it wasn't videotaped, I hope he reprises it for us in eternity. I'm signing up for that session. This is what gives me great hope, that the whole of the Old Testament is unpacking the very Jesus he is, not unpacking a very different God that changed. That's our misperception of the Old Testament. He takes these guys through this story I'm going to take you through in a very, very limited way, because I promise you I don't understand what he understands. I don't know what he knew. I wish I did. I hope someday I get that story. I want to hear it. I'm going to share with you as best I understand it at this point in my journey, how that plays out and how we get to know Jesus through the things that Moses said and Abraham experienced and David said and Isaiah spoke and that that also is him. But Jesus goes back and he just opens up their eyes to see him revealed in all those scriptures. And then after supper, they, they sat and ate with him, still had not a clue who he was. And then having eaten the supper, which may have been a, a Eucharistic moment, at least in the way Jesus celebrated at their table. Their eyes were open. They recognized him. And then he disappeared. Isn't that just great? Hey, wow! Gone. Wow. Uh, Jesus is good at that stuff. Oh, now I'm out of here. Did not our hearts burn within us? Something so real, so rich. And they go back from there to back to explain. Gee, the way you're talking about the Jesus lens, Jesus is the core for interpreting all of Scripture. He is, as I said to you in John chapter 1, the Word made flesh. In the beginning was the Word, capital W, even though it's not in the Greek. I like it here in English. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And in Him was life, and that light was, life was the light of men. And the light shines into the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. And I'm skipping some verses here so you can see the, the references the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And from the fullness of His grace, we have all received one blessing after another. I think New International says we've all received grace upon grace. And I love that. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. We're getting the story again, aren't we? 
There's something moving. It's not that we just take Exodus and put it right alongside John as if it's the owner's manual to the DVR or to the computer you bought. The page one holds the same weight as page 19 because it's just all true about the same thing. There's a growing reality. The law was revealed through Moses. Through Christ, grace and truth have come. So the story has come. And the story, the conclusion of this book, and I love this. I didn't believe this most of my life, to be honest with you. I thought, boy, Jesus came, and these are the scriptures, and we called this the Word of God, something we'll talk about in the next section if we come back. But this, is, this isn't the Word of God. Jesus is the Word. The culmination of these scriptures is not even in these pages. The culmination of these scriptures is in a person. It's in the person of Jesus, the exact representation of the Father's nature, who came not only to dwell among us and die and be resurrected for life, but then having been resurrected is now the living Christ who dwells in you, who still wants to make the Father known, the truth known in you. He's the culmination of this book. If you don't have that peace, if all we have is, well, we've got his words, bless God, we better live them as best we can. We're missing the best part of the story. The story culminates in a son. The story culminates in someone who now resurrected is your older brother who wants to be your sympathetic high priest, who wants to be your friend. I no longer call you slaves. I call you friends. This Jesus has come into our life to be the culmination of this book so that in knowing the book, we know him better. In knowing him better, we get to know the book. And there's no conflict between those two. And I've heard people, you know, now that I've got Jesus, I don't need that book anymore. Who are you kidding? Sarah writes me a love letter. Our 36th anniversary is Tuesday. 36 years together. I hopefully get somewhere. Sarah will either say something nice to me or give me a card. I will not throw the card away saying, well, you know what? I've got Sarah. Who needs the stupid card? I've got Sarah, man. And whatever she says to me in that card... I can't wait to read it. I can't wait to read what's there. When I travel overseas, don't have cell phone contact with Sarah, and I get email from Sarah, and she shows up in my ever-abundant inbox list, she's the one that makes my heart leap. I can get a whole, oh, no, i got to answer that. Oh, no, that, and I spam that, and there's this, that, junk that, and here's a problem question, and there's something from lawyers, and blah, 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 blah. Sarah, ah, my heart leaps. Now, if my heart doesn't leap, I say, you know what? I know, Sarah, who cares about what she writes? Wouldn't there be something wrong in the relationship? There really would be. So people say, oh, I got Jesus. I don't need scripture. I want, you misunderstand. This is God's love letter to you. This is how God made himself known in the course of human history. So that it both informs my relationship with Jesus, knowing this book helps me know him better, and knowing him better helps me understand this book. Just like if you get to meet an author and you get to have lunch and you had all kinds of questions from he loves me or, or from so you don't want church anymore, you just want to sit down and talk to me, you would have a more full understanding of all of that if you have both the conversation and the things I thought important enough to write down, right? And that's what this is for me. This is that guidebook that doesn't replace Jesus in my life. It hasn't made Jesus irrelevant, but neither has Jesus made this book irrelevant. Because this comes into my life, and through him, we receive grace upon grace. He is the word made flesh. So he is the culmination of this. And he got even more specific with the Pharisees. Again, the guys who knew Scripture best when he came. They studied it. They know it better than anybody else. They've got all their rules and obligations. They're beating up other people who don't do it the way they think they should do it. And Jesus says, I have testimony weightier than that of John. For the very work that the Father has given me to finish, of which I am doing, testifies that the Father has sent me.
And the Father who sent me has himself testified concerning me. You have never heard his voice or seen his form. That's what he's saying to the Pharisees. You haven't. Nor does his word dwell in you, for you do not believe the one he sent. He's saying they're seeing it. He's there. You're not seeing what there is to see because you don't have a heart to know him. Your, your deal is rules and political power based on religious whatever and the arrogance that follows from that kind of religious power. So he says, you diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you'll possess eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify about me and you refuse to come to me and to have life. So here's what this book is for. This book is to help you know him. This book helps you come to him. And in coming to him, you get to know him. And in knowing him, you get to live free. And then as I get to know him, suddenly I'm seeing things in this book that better inform me about the way he is and the way he works and the things he does. I want to know, here's where, I start, here's where it starts for me. I want to know the Jesus of Scripture well enough that anything that comes into my life, any new kind of teaching, any new kind of spiritual experience, people telling me, you got to go do this because this is the last great place God's visiting. You know what I do with all that? I take it into my understanding of the Jesus of Scripture and my growing relationship with that presence in my life. And I say, do I see the Jesus of Scripture saying this or doing this? And if I don't, I chuck it. I don't need to waste time with it. If Jesus wasn't talking about it, I don't need to be talking about it. If I don't see the example of it in the way he treated other people, that don't mean I need to see Jesus brush his teeth before I brush my teeth. Let's not be absurd. I'm not talking about that kind of thing. But I want to know the Jesus of Scripture well enough that I can bring everything I have to that to see what's real in my life. So now we can read Scripture as a story. And I tell people, just being in to read Scripture, almost everybody new starts reading Scripture starts with Genesis. And by the time they got to Leviticus, they've died because that stuff's boring when you don't understand the story that it's involved in. You're trying to figure out who God is. I tell people, begin with the Gospels. And usually, if you don't have a preference, begin in this order. Mark is, as we'll see later, quick, fast, brief, great overview of the life of Jesus. Man, Just the facts. Mark's blitzing the story. Helps you get the story kind of in the right order. Then Matthew gives you a more full understanding of how this transitioning from Judaism and what Jesus fulfilled from the Old Testament. So you get a really good beginning to get an understanding of the fulfillment of Jesus of the Old Testament. And then John gives us this very simple but deep and profound theology. So I'll say next, you know, get into John. And I even tell people, if you spend the next three years just reading these Gospels over and over again, that would be great. Don't have to like get through that next month and get read the gospels until Jesus becomes a person to you. He just doesn't become a, you know, a person in a story, a character in a movie. He actually becomes a person. And the same person you're reading about is the voice you're learning to listen to in your own heart and life. And those two begin to merge and you begin to say, okay, I'm beginning to know this Jesus. How am I going to know who he is? Because there's lots of voices in my head. I say lots of dumb things to myself. The enemy says lots of dumb things to myself. And God puts stuff in there. How am I going to know who's who? Until as I read enough of the New Testament, I read it over. John's a great way to do that. And then the reason I put Luke at the end is just because Luke acts, I I think, is a wonderful read as a a book. Luke acts. Luke wrote them. They were a thing from Luke. And same guy's writing. It's two different books, yes, but when you read, come to the end of Luke and then start through the book of Acts, now you're making the transition between Gospels now into the letters. So I, that, I just, I think that's a great way to start. Get to know the Jesus of the Bible. Take three or four years. Don't be in a hurry. Oh, I really got to figure out the Old Testament. No, you don't. 
You're not even going to begin to figure it out until you know who Jesus is. Then he can walk you back into that Emmaus kind of story of unpacking all that had to happen for the Son to come into the world. And then read the early epistles, and you don't have to write these down, they're in your notes, and we'll also be coming back and circle around to this. The middle epistles, the later epistles, that'll begin, and both Paul's and others are kind of listed in that. And then we'll get down to John and Revelation and that whole bit of the end. And then look for how Old Testament ushered in that reality. So you're getting the Gospels, how the early church played that out. We're going to see things in Acts that, wonderful mistakes. What I love about the Bible is it didn't protect everybody's character to want us to know they were all perfect people who got it right from day one. They didn't. And just because it's in the book of Acts doesn't mean we should derive a principle from it and do it. Because some things it's describing in Acts is a problem. And yet some of those things we're emulating because we didn't know it was a problem. It's in Acts. It's, we've turned it into a law book. We should do what the early church did. And some of the things they did weren't so healthy and weren't so great. And then we're able to go back in the Old Testament and begin to look at that. The three voices I live by. This, is, this gets down to how I personally engage this story. Number one is the Jesus I'm growing to know, both in the Gospels and in my heart. I've talked about that enough. That's a voice in my life I want to follow. Secondly, my best interpretation of Scripture. I read Scriptures relentlessly. I read Scriptures continually. I, I don't have this everyday obligation to do a checklist because I used to do that, and I read the chapter and didn't get a thing out of it, but I checked it off for the day. I read Scripture most every day. By the vast majority of days, I'm in somewhere in the Scriptures. Because I know the story well enough, I can be anywhere in the Scriptures on a given day because I want to I know where God's drawing me that day. And every time I read the Scripture, I'm not only looking to fill out the story more, I'm looking for some phrase, some reality in there that informs the work God's doing in my life today. And very often I get very specific encouragement from scriptures that really mean that. It's not something I pulled out of context, but things that are in that that go, oh my goodness, the situation I'm in today, this really informs that for me. Sometimes it's that way. And other times, if I'm in a situation for which scripture does speak directly, I'll go find that scripture and read it and pray. And how is this informing how I respond today? I'm, I'm not in this book as a ritual. I'm in this book as an important part of my journey. And then the other voice is my conversation with other followers of Jesus. That's partly how I interpret the book as well. I'm not only reading it and trying to understand it from me. I've got friends I know who love this book and read it and are in conversations. And I'm in conversations with them, people all over the world. Um, we, we had a situation happen this summer. Two brothers I know well from um, Ireland came out to spend a week to pray with Sarah and me about a situation we were involved in. Very specifically, we looked at stories of Abraham and Lot, and we looked at stories of David, and we looked at things from the New Testament, prayed over things that God brought up in our hearts from these two men from Ireland who came over to help talk us through how we should respond to the circumstance that we were in. It was beautiful. I love that stuff. So conversations with that. And you know what? I also get conversations with people who are long since dead. That's what books are great for. Go back and read some. I've read biographies of Wesley, of Luther. Of, I, I, I don't always agree with what they thought and did, but I want to know what they thought, why they thought, what they were seeing in their generation. That can come further down the road as well. We're not just limited to, you know, the latest book out that, uh, you know, Word or Tyndale or somebody else wants you to buy. But what's the book that's going to stir the next section of my growth? And so the conversation is not only with others. It's through reading past that. I've read Fox's Book of Martyrs. If you haven't read it, read, put it on your reading list sometime. Get through that book. It's not an easy read. But, boy, it'll give you an appreciation for what people have done. Read some of the early church fathers. Some of it's pretty boring. Some of it's pretty good. Find some of that stuff. 
But those are the three voices. When those voices all line up, I don't have those voices compete against each other. When my friends who I know love the Jesus I love and reading the scriptures I read, when the, in my interpretation of things I'm looking at, when the voice of Jesus, when those things all line up in me, then I'm pretty sure I'm living in that space I want to live in. And where they don't line up, where I think Jesus is saying one thing and I'm reading some of those scriptures going, man, I'm not sure that that makes sense in regard to this. Then I hold those things in tension until I have a greater understanding yet to come. What does it take for this kind of work to be in us? What kind of life to be in us? Here's what I think we need to do to interpret scripture. I'm going to give you a few things here in your notes. Number one, be a lover of truth. Whatever in you just wants to find a comfortable God to live with that makes you happy, keep that before God and let him change it. Have the heart that says, God, I want to know you as you really are. Jesus, I want to know what you're really speaking to me today. If you're asking me to do a hard thing, I want to hear that and know that. I, I, so be a lover of the truth. That's the one thing New Testament says really protects you, particularly in the last day when there's lots of deceiving things going on in the world. It's the heart for truth that keeps you in the truth. doesn't mean you always know it, but if you have a heart for it, you will see it as God unpacks it with you. Have an intellectual honesty and curiosity. Don't just take someone else's word for it. This is the danger to me of study Bibles and commentaries. If you're just going to that, I don't know what this verse means, so I'm going to read what that person says. Oh, that's what it means. No, that's what they thought it means. Not necessarily what it means, so, but it can be helpful. Study Bibles, I don't like them because people are already reading the notes before they even thought about it themselves. Or held a scripture and saying, God, I don't understand this scripture. Hold it before God for days, weeks. When you're driving in your car, think about it. Ask God to talk about it with your friends. Come to an understanding. If, if you know, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling as well as things, I don't get that verse yet. And I want to be talking about it. Keep it before God until there's clarity about those things. There's nothing wrong with having that kind of ongoing conversation with God about the things you're going through. But have an intellectual curiosity. If things in scripture don't seem to make sense, then be honest, it doesn't seem to make sense. And I'm just, I've got some place here to grow. And any, I mean, even Peter, the scripture that we'll read if we haven't read already, I forget where we've been and where we haven't since I've been over this material a thousand times of late, where Peter says Paul wrote some things and some of the other scriptures that are so difficult to understand. I have great hope Peter didn't understand it all. Peter didn't understand the stuff Paul was writing. So no, there are times when I don't get that. But the overwhelming things of what we do get about scripture, the overwhelming truths that are there, those you can live in with great freedom as God's still processing out the things you need to learn. And then have that conversation, as I said, with other people around you. Um, you. You can even have that intellectual curiosity, lover of the truth. That maybe there's people in your life that you know are really lovers of the truth. And I don't mean doctrine police that have an answer for everything that bash you into seeing it their way or you're going to hell. I don't mean those people. I mean people who are growing to know the same Jesus you're going to. And you can disagree with those people and hold that disagreement in tension. Just hold it. Weeks, months, until God makes it clear. We don't need an instant answer to everything. There's lots of things in Scripture I'll go, I don't understand that yet. But the bigger things we already know already make sense. Translations, I get asked that a lot. Just a quick word about translations. We have way too many in English. There are parts of the world that have none. But publishers know they're the best-selling thing in the world, so they keep coming out with new versions. And study Bibles, oh my gosh, study Bibles of every kind. Missional study Bibles, community study Bibles. Can they be helpful? They can be helpful. The NIV Study Bible, there's some great notes in there that I'm going to refer to later on down the road, particularly introductory materials to books to help you put it in the story. They can be valuable. 
But as a crutch, really, because I don't want to read and I don't want to not understand and I want an instant answer to something that is already agenda-laden because this is the missional study Bible, which already says it's got an agenda in it. And it's going to point you a certain way with the Scripture that that Scripture, I guarantee you, is more broad than that one application. But the translations we have, is there one better than another? You know, King Jimmy's pretty old. I don't, you know, there's a lot in King Jimmy that just is... English doesn't work the same way today, but I know people, that's the one Paul read, so we should all read it, which it wasn't. Uh, But I know that's a bit of an issue. Uh, I like the NIV for just casual reading, just reading through lots of stuff. The NIV is great. When I'm on something more literal, I get the New American Standard. Hate the these and thous. Hate that it's not in paragraph format. It's in verse format. The book is a story. It reads better in paragraphs than it does in verses because in paragraphs you're getting whole thoughts. You're not just getting these proof texting verses. But I read the New American Standard when I want something literal because I know the Greek and I can read New American Standard and pretty much know what the Greek is saying because they're, they're very literal in their translation of it. But NIV is a great translation. I read the message for fun because I love the way Eugene Peterson comments and interprets scriptures in a more relational construct. Beautiful. There's almost no major problem with any English version you're going to read other than I think the Amplified is just dangerous because it's a multiple choice test. And you can just read through and pick one from column A, B, C, and you can make a verse say pretty much anything you want it to say. So I'm not nuts about that version. But there's no major doctrinal problems in the text. I know the Greek, and there's some very fine line. Does this say this or this that are disputed? Nothing major. What the Scripture says, it says pretty clearly. And it's pretty clear in our generations. I say we've got enough translations. There's people overseas that have none or very, very bad translations. But, you know, we're the market, so everybody's going to make them for us. But just be careful. You don't become dependent on a certain commentary or dependent on another man's agenda. God wants you to read and to know and to understand these things. And you can do that. And if you can't read, I met people who can't, well, I can't read the Bible. Oh, do you know somebody who can? And just get together once in a while and let them read to you or buy it in audio or get an audio version so you can hear it. Because it helps for us to think through these things and not just trust someone else's interpretation or perhaps distortion of the very things we need to read. If Jesus is our lynch, if it's the Word made flesh and we're reading it and examining it through Him, then this story is going to begin to make sense. <laughs> 